I've met great people and I've met good people. And I've also met people that are just giving. In today's session, we're going to meet someone else who's, I call him a grandfather in terms of property, but he's not that old. I'm just saying grandfather in terms of knowledge. But I literally call this guy a river in terms of information. He's been there before me and he's still grinding in the property space. He actually says he's got eight streams of income that he says everyone should have. And property is one of them. Well, let's jump on and hear what these eight streams of income is all about and why he also invests in property and why he also educates other people. Welcome. And this is Empire Property Addicts. Boom, boom, how's it going, how's it going? Welcome to M5 Successful Friends. Like any other day, we bring you a successful friend. And today, like any other day, I bring you a successful friend. And today, I've got someone who's special. He doesn't know that he's special in my space, but, well, now he knows. And uh, this is Rian Nodia. Rian, um, welcome to M5 Successful Friends. And um, I just wanted to say to you, I think I don't know whether I've said this in the past or not, but I'm going to say it anyway. Um, when I started off my journey, I think you were one of five people that were very authentic, that were very open, uh, and that were sharing information to a point where I was like, how does this guy do it? And besides doing it, like he's just freely sharing it because I was, remember that point, I was employed at the bank. And in the banking system, or should I say when you're employed, what you know is very important because that can either get you a promotion or not. But there you are, you're sharing all of this freely. Uh, and Rian, I'd like to say to you, thank you for that. And welcome to M5 Successful Friends. Thanks, TJ. Thanks for having me. It's, a, it's an honor to and a privilege to be here with you today. Um, like I did say, I mean, you were one of the grandfathers in terms of my journey in property. Um, I, I call you the one of the grandfathers because I found you in property teaching people. I found you in property preaching about property. Um, and you haven't stopped um, and you're still at it. And the conversation that I would like us to have today, uh, Riani, is, you know, why do you do all of these things? But um, before we get there, who is Riani anyway? Sure. <laughs> okay, so um, who am I? Uh, look, I've, I've been in property for a while. Um, yeah. I've, I've purchased my first property in 2001 and, and have been kind of an avid property fan ever since. Um, not through anything that happened with that property. Uh, I think many people know the story of me being beaten up by my first tenants four months into my first rental in my first property. So, um, you know, having, having that kind of situation is, is enough to discourage most people from pursuing what they, the, the journey that they set out on to begin with. Right. Um, and for me, I just, for me, it was a lesson. You know, I needed to, to learn how to do things better. 
and how how to to achieve my goals without giving uh, people opportunity to screw me over per se. Um, yeah. But yes, look, initially, uh, like like all young young guys these days, or back in the day even, um, as as I started my my work journey, I wanted to buy a new car. And I have my, my dad to blame for this, but my dad kept on saying to me, you don't buy a new car until you have bought a house. You don't buy a new car until you've bought a property. Don't invest into cars. They're not assets. Invest into property. If you want to build an asset base, invest into property. And um, thankfully, I did listen to him. Um, and and I before I bought a new car. I, I had a little um, secondhand junker at that point in time. And I drove that junker for quite a number of years after buying my first property. In fact, after buying my first property, I ended up driving that junker for another four years and buying another six properties in the meantime before selling the junker and getting something um, a little bit better. So, wow. yes, uh, look, I, I when I started my journey, um, the one thing that's, I think, different from me and most property investors today is the fact that back when I started, there was no one officially teaching property. No one, it was no one you could learn from. You had to go in and kind of make the mistakes yourself. Um, the, the guys that I perceive as the grandfathers in property, they only really started their journey in terms of teaching people 2003, 2004. So, you know, I had no choice. I, I, I blame my mistakes on the fact that I had to make them myself. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, yes, um, that's who I am and that, that's where I got started. I, I've had the privilege of meeting your beautiful wife um, and uh, in, in interaction um, with your wife, uh, I also discovered that um, me, me and you, we actually have a couple of things in common. Um, and you're you're a, you you're pretty high on your faith journey, uh, and there are things that you intentionally do within your faith journey. Um, do, do you want to share something around that and why you do that? In my faith journey, yeah, <laughs> right. So look, I there's a lot of things that I believe. I, 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 one of the things that I that I hold on to is the fact that. You know, nothing's going to change unless you do something about it. You, right. you, you have to be intentional in terms of where you're aiming. Um, yeah. I am involved with UXA and a few other charities, um, UXA being the core one. And um, basically what we do in, within UXA is we, we do leadership development and, and um, faith development within high school kids. And um, this kind of leads us to, to invest into their lives quite a bit at, at youth camps and so on. And someone once asked me, why do I do it there? And, and it's very much the same as with property to a degree, because what has happened there is, and they asked me, why do you go and invest so much of your time in other people's children um, and, and developing them? And I said, well, if I don't do it, for these kids, then who's going to do it for mine? I need to get someone in that generational gap that one day when my daughter is in high school and has a um, struggle of conscience or whatever the case may be, 
that they can mm -hmm. go and test um, ideas and, and concepts with someone that they can trust, someone that that will give them um, appropriate advice and in, in that in that circumstance. And if I don't do that for these kids now, when they grow up, they won't be in a position to do that for mine. So, and it's a, it's a very long kind of pay it forward type of, of scenario, but it, it's, it, it's very much core to my belief system. Awesome. Uh, I think that's a, that's a thankless job. Um, I mean, you've taken it on your own and you're doing it, you're doing a great job. So thank you for that. Um, and, and I think it comes back to something else that I believe in, Ryan, in terms of us just living in our society where we are living right now. Um, you can gain a lot of knowledge, but that knowledge needs to be passed on. It's not for you alone. Because if it was for you alone, then you would have never able to get it because someone else would have held on to it. Um, but there are many at times in our societies, once we get onto something, we hold on to it and we don't pass it on. And you're passing it on for free. And if anyone who's close to you or see you in action, they can commend you and celebrate the fact that you're a person, you're like a river, man. That's what you are. You get, you get stuff, you pass it on. You get stuff, you pass it on. Uh, and in two areas that are, where I can see it is in property, number one, and um, obviously with the kids that you're doing, and both of them have a future, a huge future impact, you know? So um, we can literally call you today, Rian the Futurist. <laughs> I like that name. Um, but TJ, look, the, the, same, the same goes for, for property as it did in faith. Eh? Yeah. And the, the reason why it does is, look, we, we live in South Africa and, yeah. and, and just looking around us, we can see the amount of poverty that exists out there. We can, can see the amount of, of turmoil that, that just exists. The reality is that if we can change one person's life who starts a new business, who is able to employ more people, um, we're able to build a country that's better tomorrow than it was today. And for me personally, I believe property is one of the core pillars of doing that. Uh, and and uh, property investment specifically, because yeah. anyone can do it. No one is excluded from it. You don't need to have huge amounts of money um, in order to invest into property. Um, and, you know, there's lots of other investments out there, you know, crypto, gold, silver, commodities, the stock market, what have you. And a lot of those things will outperform property um, when you just look at them side by side, right? Um, but what makes property different? Property is one of the only asset classes where you have an immense capability to leverage your investment. So suddenly, instead of having to put down 100% of the money to buy X amount of Bitcoin, right? Because no one will loan you money to go and buy Bitcoin. You, you need to put down the cash, hard cash to do so, right? For property, it's different. For property, we put down 5%, 10%, maybe sometimes 0% in order to purchase a property. And right. that, that's where the difference comes in for me. Because it now means that everyone has got access to it. 
everyone can do it. And the guys, guys that's really, really committed to, to the cause and, and will push it, they will eventually start other businesses too. They will eventually employ people. They will enable growth within our country. 100%. Um, I mean, when I remembered when I started coming through to SAPIN and you affiliated to, to, to SAPIN, um, I think you were instrumental in starting SAPIN anyways, uh, but you can tell us the journey of SAPIN. Um, I, I didn't think that it, at some point I would employ 42 employees. I didn't think of that. Um, I was just trying to solve my own problems. And my own problems were that I didn't have money. I was in debt at the time. Um, and yes, so I'm, I'm a true testament of what you've just said that anyone can do it. And who knows, you can actually start a business and that can employ people. We now employ uh, just above 40 people um, in, in all the areas that we, are, we have. Um, and that's just permanent employees, but we've got a lot of other people that are coming in to plug in into the business as subcontractors. You know, if we put all of those people together, that's but that becomes a much bigger number. But yes. but Rian, what what do you do in property? So there's different things that happen in the property space. For you, what's your happy place? What do you do? Okay, so personally, I'm I'm a buy to let investor, and there's a good reason for that. And uh, and people laugh about this, but I'm really crap at flipping properties. <laughs> So as far as, as, as flipping, um, doing flipping investments and so on, uh, my wife and I, we always kind of overshoot and, and uh, well, it's not so much overshooting as, as that it just takes too long. There's all kinds of things that goes out of scope. We, we struggle to keep it within, within the scope. So buy to let has been kind of my safe space. It's the thing that I understand and that I can build upon and I've been building buy-to-let portfolios um, in order to, to build a legacy for myself, for my family, for, for my, my uh, child, and so on and so forth. So buy-to-let has been my, my primary uh, point of focus. Um, in doing so, you have to do a little bit of, um, I, don't want, I hesitate to call it flipping, but re renovations and so on. So, um, you know, we, we kind of have to take the bad with the good, but um, it all pans out well in the end. And, um, you know, once you understand what you're doing, once you've got the necessary knowledge to, to run this properly, it actually takes very little of your time, which is the other benefit of it, um, is the fact that this business can essentially, I won't say it runs itself because people always kind of misconstrue it, but it takes a very small percentage of my time. I had a conversation with the MD of one of my other companies. Um, uh, in fact, the, the company that, that uh, employs me as a, where I get my day job, you know, the salaried income, the kind of fixed, the security portion of my income comes from yeah. that. And I had a conversation with him the other day and, and I said to him, listen, you do realize that 90%, 80%, 85% of my income in that vicinity um, comes out of 5% of my time. And the remainder, the other 10, 15, maybe 20% at times comes from, um, from a salary in investment, which takes up 95% of my time. So, um, you know, it's, yeah. it just yeah. puts it into perspective, right? That um, it, you need to start building things that enables you to make money while you sleep. 
and that's what it's all about leveraging your time yeah and, and you're also a testament to that um just by virtue of of the level of employment that you do your people is what enables you to grow you yeah. would not be where you are today without your team of people in fact your growth would be stunted if it wasn't for you being willing to take the plunge and employ people in order to help you achieve your goals so i think it's very important to recognize the fact that certain asset classes can leverage your time leverage your money but also people and investing in people can can leverage your ability to grow awesome so for for some of you who don't know uh, i think rian mentioned two ways that might be foreign to 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 to, to us which is maybe buy to let uh, basically what buy to let is that it is is that you buy a property and you don't sell it you keep it for a longer time and you might renovate it and you rent it up that's what rian does and the second way was flipping which is buying a property and you can sell it to the next person and you get some pro- uh, profit out of it i'm not also a big fan of flipping um and i think my my reasons are because when i look at how i grew up i grew up with no dad um you know my my biological father kind of like disappeared before i was born so you know when i look at people like you Rian, and you saying in 2001 your dad was saying you should buy you should buy i'm like wow that is so amazing because already your dad was setting you up for success with the advice that he was giving you and i didn't have that right so once now i i started understanding this knowledge i have now started saying how best can i catch up from let's say maybe if i'm to compare myself with rian how best can i catch up to 2008 so i need to work a little bit harder than than the than the ordinary person and that's just the way i put things on myself for me to be able to deliver more but once you're talking about that uh, rian your first property in 2001 you had no education you didn't know anyone else who was doing it except your dad who was pushing you to say buy an asset and you listen right for some of people they never listen to that that first property where you go bitten down with your tenant could it be your worst property or is it your best property so far you've been at it now is 21 years if you had to look back sure <laughs> TJ that's a loaded question but let me let me just say something there <laughs> just because it was a mistake or, or, or not the property wasn't a mistake but because i made mistakes in 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 how i vetted people at that point in time i didn't make mistakes in how i managed it i didn't make mistakes in buying the property but i made a mistake in terms of the person that i put in because i had no knowledge at how to look at people how to evaluate people and decide whether this is someone that I would want to do business with. I just basically said, "Oh, you want my house? I need someone to rent my house. There you go. There's a lease. Let's sign it." Right? And and that was where the mistake was. But it doesn't mean that it was my only mistake. Not by a long shot. Right. I've made many other mistakes since and this property specifically has um definitely not been um my worst property, not by a long shot. In fact, it's one of the properties i intend to keep long haul right it it was a mistake in certain ways initially and i'll maybe get into that just a little bit later um but basically what it boils down to is this property 
has now, in fact, this house where I'm sitting in now, we've only moved into this a month ago. Um, and it's my first move in 21 years because I used to stay at the property, that first property that I was renting. I stayed in the in the, the kind of servants' quarters, which I eventually converted into a, a cottage for myself to stay in. And eventually I moved into the house when I got married and so on and rented out the cottage instead. But that house, I have now... Wait, 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 yeah. So Sorry, before, you, before you got married, you were staying... So you bought a house and yes. this house has a... It had a cottage. So you stayed in the cottage. That's correct. Yes, because that's what and made financial sense. And, and I then moved into the house um, only once I got married because that's when I needed the bigger space. But what I've done now, this is 21 years later, and we've now moved to a different house, moved to a different neighborhood. But that house, the original house, has now been converted into a multi-let. It has four separate rental units. With um, It's a corner property, two entrances from one side, two entrances from the other. Um, and it's a beautiful little cash flowing proposition sitting there. Um, so, high five to you, man. High five to you. <laughs> well done. Yeah. So, look, I, 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 the, I made this move now because it affords my family a, a, a better lifestyle and better security. And effectively, the move um, pays me 2,000 Rand. By moving out of that house, renting out the different multi-let units that was there, and um, buying the new property where there's also a cottage, by the way. I'll never buy something without a cottage or some other means of income. Um, between the incomes that I receive from all the different properties together as a direct result of this move, I have a further positive cash flow of 2,000 rand a month. So essentially, I'm getting paid two grand a month to upgrade my lifestyle and my security. That is cool. Well done. And I really like that. Um, speaking of the fact of this house that you've just um, converted now and you've moved into a new house, um, so your focus is buy to let, right? Um, so you're in the residential space, and is there a particular reason why you are in residential for buy to let? Sorry, why I'm in there? Is there a particular reason why you're in the residential space for buy to let? Why why you're not doing retail for buy to lets or yeah. any anything other than residential right so tina yeah um actually i, I act actively advise my students not to invest into office space at least not for the foreseeable future the, the the next year or so until we know what's happening i mean people have been giving up office space all over the city because covid has taught them that they don't need an office to work from they, they can work from anywhere. And um, yeah. even though I've done that, that I've, I've advised my students that way, we personally in the last two, three weeks have purchased the building or a third of the building that our uh, one business is in. Um, but because of it creating a saving for us, not because we have some intentions to rent it out at huge profits or anything along those lines. So it's more a long-term play. The company has been in, the, in that building for the last 30 years. So it makes sense for us to, to remain there. That having been said, um, we are looking at the retail space and we are looking um, 
actively at investing into retail um, as one of the, the options, but it's usually in a residential retail mix. It's not, it's not as a standalone retail investment. And um, the retail of the residential side of, of our investment portfolio, if you go and have a closer look at it, you'll see that they're all bachelors, one beds, two beds at most. And the reason for that is because it's the slush point in the market. It's the point in the market where if everything goes well in the economy, um, kids are getting jobs, they are actively being able to fend for themselves. I will not stay under my mom and dad's roof anymore. I've had it. I can't, can't, can't be told to be back in the house by 11 at night, whatever, right? So they move out and they get their own spot. They're going to move into some bachelor's apartment or some one bed or whatever because the economy is doing well, right? Turn it around. The economy changes. It goes badly. What happens? The guys that are sitting in that bachelor's and the one beds, they move back in a home with mom or with whatever other family member is willing to take them at the time, right? Yeah. But the young family with the uh, newly born child, right, that had a two-bedroom now moves into a one-bedroom where they start sharing or something along those lines, just in order to consolidate and in order to limit their exposure during the times that it's not going so well. So in my mind, at least, the point in the market where you always have tenants is that bachelor's one beds, maybe two beds scenarios. Um, and that's, I feel safe in that space. I know that I'm gonna have to change tenants more often than a three bed or four bed house, but I also know that I'll be more guaranteed of having a tenant during the bad times and the good times. Yeah, uh, <clears throat> Rian, you, you speak of you speak of um, the business that you own. You speak about property. You speak about being employed uh, under your own business. It almost sounds like you've got multiple things going here. Um, so you you don't do property full time. Is that correct? I don't do property full-time, um, but I, I think anyone that says they don't do property full-time are deluded because you're pretty much on call all the time for, for these types <laughs> yes. of businesses. I mean, you, yeah. you know that because um, people will phone you 11 o'clock at night to say there's this problem or that problem or we need to adjust our offer on this, on this deal or something along those lines. So that right. does happen. Um, but... You know, and it comes back to the to, to the, the principles of it all. Um, there's a, a saying, and I'm not sure who said it or how true it is, but that the average millionaire in um, American dollar millionaire has eight streams of income, right? Eight. And eight different streams of income. So eight different okay. businesses or other things that's giving them money on a semi-regular basis. I'm not talking about an investment that they have a fixed investment for 10 years and then it pays out, that's not an income. That's an investment. Yeah, so we're talking I'm regular talking, payments coming in yes, every week, every regular month. Payments coming in, but from eight different sources, which is also okay. the reason why they would be more likely to survive something like COVID. Because when one source of income is affected, it doesn't necessarily affect all the others at the same time. Now, I've been going around very much with that principle in mind. And so we have nine different streams of income currently. Um, okay. 
and and they're all kinds of different businesses. I own a part of an IT business that's been in the municipal space for the last 30 years, and that's doing very well. It's a, it's a, it's a well-established, well-renowned company that, that has a good um, rep in the market and so on. And then yeah. um, there, there are a few property investment um, entities that do different things. I try and separate my risk from kind of compartmentalize it. So I, I am a shareholder at Sapman. I'm a shareholder at the Property Academy, um, which is a, a property training entity. Um, Sapman being, of course, a SA Property Investors Network. Um, and, and this is where we kind of share our knowledge and where the community that you're also part of in terms of finding investors for your deals and, and uh, deals for your investors and, and vice versa. So um, that's what Sapman is all about. So all of these different income streams um, tend to, to come together. But the, the reality is that about out of these nine income streams, seven of them is property related. And even the ones that's not property related, like the IT company, um, you know, it's very easy to create a property related link. Um, one of our latest developments is a sub-metering billing engine, which basically enables um, complexes and estates and so on to actively and accurately bill their utilities um, for, the, for the estate. And, the, and, and it's something that existed before, but we've put a new spin on it. So immediately it ties back into my other passion, which is property. Right. Because that was the question that I was going to ask you, Ryan, to say, you've got seven businesses. Are they related in one way or the other? Uh, because I, I failed to kind of like manage my time effectively when I had a, when I had a chicken farm and a car rental business. Um, however, I should say now that with my property rental business, I don't struggle hard in terms of time management compared to my investment business. My investment business, all it's doing is collecting the property and the deal is there and I post it to my guys who are doing property management. But there, I have made it intentionally to hire professionals, people that have gone to school to learn how to manage properties. Uh, and they tell me what is the right thing to do and how to do it and when I have a little bit of uh, side information and I come in, so collectively as a group, we're growing on each deal that comes through, but really they take the lead. But yeah. that's a business where I'm not involved in, but it pays me, right? Um, my interaction is very limited, probably maybe about 5% of my time uh, in that business, reviewing reports, uh, looking at bigger issues and trying to see how you can solution or strategically, how do we partner with other people, that kind of thing. Now, this has been easier. And, and I almost want to ask the question to you, Rian, to say, you've been in business much longer than I've been. When, when should you actually decide one business or one stream, maybe you're an employee, or maybe you now have one business. So we're talking to those two people now, Ryan, with your, with your, with your head now that you've got a business. 
when do you actually decide I'm going to open a second stream? And how does that stream or business, how should it be effective or affiliated to this business that you have or the first income so that you are not out of time? Because time is what we all don't have. We all have 24 hours. Or you don't strain yourself or you don't strain your resources. Okay, so I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all answer. Let me start by saying that. So um, every person needs to evaluate and and do these things in a way that makes sense to them. That's the first thing I want to say about it. If if you're an employee and you want to start your own business, um, my recommendation would be that you burn in midnight oil, that you actually do this after hours and that you actually push to get this thing up and, and, and running first before you let go of your, your security. Um, so that that you don't put yourself in a detrimental position where you end up crashing and burning just because you thought this would work and it didn't, right? Um, so m- make sure that you have a kind of fail-safe, a backup. The other thing that you said, TJ, was very accurate. And that is the fact that you, the reason why your various businesses are successful is because you employ the right people. You have decided actively that you cannot do everything yourself. Because if you did, A, you would not have all the knowledge. No one has all the knowledge. If you think you know everything, you're deluded. Right? So the, the reality is that once you realize that you don't know everything and that there are people that can do certain things better than you can, you employ those people and you make sure that they are looked after. And when they are looked after, they will look after your business. And that's as simple as it is. Um, so for me, I am involved in the IT business, not because it makes me huge amounts of money at all. I'm involved mm-hmm. in the IT business because it's one of my passions and I love doing that job. And, and that's why I'm willing to spend 95% of my time for 10, 15% of my income there because it's a passion of mine, right? Um, property is also a passion of mine, but it does not require me to be fully actively involved all the time. So the, the property rental business, I'm effectively together with my wife running on our own. We don't need a lot of extra people. We have systems and solutions and automation in place in order to help us manage it. So that kind of runs on its own. Then you have other businesses like Sappen, like the Property Academy, like um, Equilibrium Shares, uh, uh, Equilibrium Ventures, and a whole bunch of other businesses. Now, these businesses, they do require active people working in the business as well. It does not mean that it needs to be me. I can bring the little bit that I can contribute to those businesses both in investment as well as in knowledge to management meetings and so on. But the people that's working in the business, the people that is um, getting paid a salary, those people must drive it forward. And that's what it's all about. It's being able to recognize the fact that sometimes, you, you, most of the time, you need other people in order to leverage your ability to grow. 100%. I, I really like that. Um, Rian, maybe we can go in to talk about challenges. Um, I know as a business person, as a businessman, you, you've, you've had to overcome many challenges. 
Um, and let's talk about the partnerships. So you're in partnerships with a lot of people uh, in different businesses and you have employees. I think for me, uh, employees is very easy. You know, you, you can, you can kind of like micromanage and manage from a performance perspective. And it's very clear what happens, you know, because it's contractual. However, when you jump in bed with partners, Rian, um, and I'm talking about someone else who does not know how they've never, they've never had a partner before. You know, it's up in your shareholders, so you go partners that you work with and all, all your other businesses that you're talking about. How, how do you know this is the right partner for me? You know, do you kind of like meet them? How, how, how does your dating go and in terms of, you know, do you get a gut feel like this is the right person? Or is it black and white for you? Um, I've had my fair share of partners. Uh, I think I now have some kind of a rhythm that I work off, but I, I don't know. You've been in business longer than I've been. Uh, TJ, that's a difficult question, eh? because um, I'm, I'm sorry, so, I'm presenting difficult conversations. <laughs> no, no, but it's, it's that look, the reality is that, yeah, absolutely. It's a very, very, very pertinent uh, uh, question, though, because I think at some stage you're going to make a mistake with a partner. There, there is going right. to be a coming time that you misjudge someone's intention or misjudge someone's um, ability to deliver the goods or, or whatever. And it, it's all about what you've kind of agreed up front. It's about the, the exit clauses and the terms of engagement that you've put on paper uh, before you start. So that, that's the one place where you should, you know, perhaps try and mutually protect yourselves to say, listen, guys, this is what we want to achieve. This is how it's going to happen. If you don't bring your pound of flesh um, to this to this barbecue, we're going to have a problem, right? And um, putting that down in writing. And the more stringent those things are in writing, the more the clearer they are, the less problems you're going to have eventually when the, when it needs to be dissolved. I'm not saying that it will need to be dissolved. In a perfect world, it just works out. Everyone works well together and everyone brings what they promised they would bring and, and all works out. But I've had some bad, bad partners. I probably still have some bad partners left um, in some businesses. Um, but I also have some exceptional partners, um, some really great people that have enabled me to grow, not fi necessarily financially, but also as a person you know, in terms of yeah. who I am, yeah. personal development. So um, I, I have partners that I'm extremely grateful to be part of their journey and their of mine. Um, and, and that's the reality. The one thing that I can say though, is I think that the buy to let environment, funny enough, has helped me immensely with this. Because just like you are doing a little dance with a potential tenant in terms of their credit worthiness, in terms of their affordability in terms of their lifestyle. Who are they? Are they spending money every two, three days at Spartops? In which case, I need to be prepared to go and fight a drunken octopus the last day of the month for my rent. You know, um, you, know you, you, you do these kind of, of um, investigations around people and say, is this a person I want to be in business with? In buy to yeah. Before I rent out to them, the same goes for business partners. 
The problem is it's not as simple as just giving someone notice you've got to move uh, when you're dealing with a business partner. Sometimes it's a lot harder to get someone that's actually invested in your business out at a level that makes sense. So um, I think the buy-to-let thing has brought me to a point where I can, I can sum up people um, pretty accurately right from the get-go for the, for the most part. And I'm not beyond making mistakes. I'm pretty sure I will still make some in my future. But I, when generally speaking, I know I want to work with this person. They're an honest, true to God, good person, good, good people to to work with. That's what I want. In in, <laughs> thanks for that feedback. Um, and um, in regard to that, right? Um, as you see yourself growing into the future, um, do, do you intend, it, is the intention for, for Rian to grow more partners or to grow within your partnerships so that you, you become bigger? Where, where do you strike the balance in terms of acquisition of new partners versus growing the partnerships that you have? Does it make sense, my question? Yes, yes. Yeah. Um, Look, so I prefer working with people that I know. And I right. also prefer you know, stepping into the swimming pool slowly. I don't just go and jump in the deep end with people I don't know. Um, so, you know, I, I would try and do a single deal first with, with someone and see, you know, do we work well together? How do we get along before I get into a long-term partnership with someone? Um, yeah. I am always willing to work with people who has fire in their bellies. If you know the expression, I, I want a person that's passionate about what they um, want to achieve and where they want to go because their drive will equal their success. And, um, you know, if I can, it's a slipstream thing. If I've got someone that's extremely driven, they are going to be extremely successful. If I'm tagging along with them, I'm going to be in their success slipstream as well, right? Even That's if it's it. for 5% or 10% of the total there, I don't mind. I, I want to tag along with other successful people, just like other successful people or like other people tends to want to tag on to me in the places where I'm successful, right? 100%. So, um, that's, that's my take on it. Um, but I do take it slowly when... Well, I do prefer to take it slowly when involving new partners. Awesome. I like that. In conclusion, Rian, you spoke of working with your wife. And, uh, and I think for a lot of younger guys who are newly wed and things like that, they struggle to work with their partners. And um, finance is something that's not even spoken about. And here you are, you're working with your wife. Your wife, she's potentially running the business or should I say the two of you, you are running your, your portfolio business. You are self-managing some of your properties. I don't know if you self-manage across board, um, but the finances are very clear on, on how much money is coming in and things like that. I want to speak about transparency in a relationship when it comes to that part of life, because um, I think it's, it's a, it's a point where I see a lot of people failing. 
And then I also see a second layer into that. Uh, it's that in some cases, there could be not transparent like that, and they are married, I want to say the wrong way, in community or property. Um, so for that reason, they want to do property, but now they can't do it because their other partner is not on board or their other partner's finances is just in shambles and they don't even know. And they are only going to know on the day of applications. But there you are, you are collecting, you and your wife are doing this and it's intentional to you. How did you even get to that space? Or did you just kind of like, hey, babe, this is what I do, come along. Like, how did you get there? Yeah, um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bit of a funny question. It's not something that I normally get on podcasts and so on. Um, and I, I actually thank you for that because I, I, really, enjoy, I really enjoy your line of questioning. Um, look, my wife, when I met my wife, she wasn't in a great space financially. And yeah. um, she was renting a property and... Um, eventually I said to her, but listen, you can actually buy a property for less than what you're paying in rent here now. And we started looking and she bought, bought her first, first property and so on. And she became, and this was while we were still dating. Huh? This was, we dated for about four years before we got married, four and a half years before we got married. And during that time, she bought two properties. Um, I, I, I'd like to presume by virtue of her involvement with me and me being property confoculated, you know, completely um, mad about property. Um, yeah. But the reality yeah. is that um, I think what made the difference here is the fact that we did this together. You know, there was always this intention to do things together. And our finances, I have a good view of her finances. She has a good view of mine. We understand where, where we're standing. There's certain things that we kind of kept to ourselves. And there's certain things that had to be handled as part of that um, kind of agreement. Um, but so uh, we, we're married out of community of, well, we're married in community of, out of community of property with accrual. So what we've built together, we've built together. Um, sure. But the the point is that we're doing it together and and we we have a good view of where we both are standing when we have financial difficulties we communicate it so there's not never any surprises happening um and that that's been key also her property is not her property my property is not my property it's our property and for that reason we co-manage if there's an issue, a geezer that's burst, a, a, someone needs to be opened up for a plumber or electrician, or if there is a need to go and show tenants the, the units, um, we both take on that responsibility. She would take on all the adver advertisements and the arranging of meetings. I would take on typically conducting those meetings because it's safer for me as a man on my own at night to go and do meetings than to send her out. That's, that's the main reason. But she takes all the pressure off me in terms of hooking those, those meetings, telling me there's these three people, they're coming at this time, um, should be done by that time, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, it's, it's a joint effort. And I 100%. think that's key, is to remain a joint effort. The moment that you think you're going at it on your own or, you know, the two of you are going to do this separately, that doesn't work. It's always a bit problematic. 
100%. Rian, from when you started off buying properties intentionally, you know, your 2001, it kind of like was an instruction from your dad. And, uh, but when you started off being intentional around it, and you now are happy in the space of property and you're hungry around it, I'm sure you had some goals at the time, or you were thinking this can give me X and Y, Z. What are some of the benefits that you have now started seeing with you in the business for the last 20 or odd years uh, that you're seeing coming up now outside money? Sure. Um, I think some of them we've touched on already, the ability yeah. to, to judge people, to, well, to, to, to evaluate people effectively and say, is this, is this a good person or not? Um, right. is one of them. Um, I think it, it, there's one of our goals when we started, and goals always change. One of our goals when we started was to have uh, 30 paid off units at which time we can retire and the 30 paid off units would just um, keep on producing a income for the remainder of our days and, and so on. So that kind of also changed over time because it's not always as simple. Sometimes you, when you're taking other people along on your journey, you know, it's not about having 30 paid off units in your own name or whatever. It's about saying, well, I own 10% of a company that does X, Y, and Z in a month. And that is able to continue existing beyond my involvement. And that's able to continue employing people and growing in the economy and ensuring the livelihood for others um, beyond my departure. Um, it leaves a legacy and no one will remember your name um, at the end of the day. It's not about having your name remembered, but I know and my kids will know that I created that business and it created certain possibilities. Um, so, yeah, look, I, I fully intend for my daughter, for instance, to buy property long before she's out of high school, but her own property in her own way. Um, and yes, I'm going to teach her what she needs to know and she'll be buying into structures and she won't be making the same mistakes that I did. You know, people always ask me, what, what mistakes did you make? Um, but what would you do different? One, I wouldn't buy a primary home to begin with. Um, I would have taken that money and put it into three cash flowing properties at the time instead. Um, primary home is less important unless it's a 20 year home, unless it's something you buy to raise your children. And the second thing would have been to not buy into my personal name at all. I'm still struggling today to get certain properties out of my personal name that I bought into my personal name in the, in the early years. And for long-term investments, it's just not supposed to be kept that way. So it needs to be uh, changed. And yeah, look, so uh, there's loads of little things that, that you learn and take away along the journey. Um, one of my favorite things in the last 20 years has been the creation of that buy to let course. Yes, I had lots of fun creating that and more fun presenting it. it it's, it's really, um, for me, it was an incredible journey to, to do that. And I didn't even realize what I knew until I started writing it down, you know. So there's loads of things that you kind of realize along the journey, but this was a spin-off. This is an, a, a kind of, um, what do they call it? Um, serendipitous experience. A right. By luck, by chance thing that just happened, but 
made you so incredibly happy along the way. So awesome stuff. In conclusion, um, Ryan, thanks a lot for being here. My last question to you is what does success look like for to, to you? I don't think success personally can be measured in money. Um, sure. Success for me is um, being truly deeply happy. Being able to say, you know, I did something of value. I did it in a way that um, I feel good about, um, that I don't have to be ashamed about or whatever. I, I um, am able to achieve certain goals, certain things I always wanted to do by virtue of this journey that I've been on. Um, now, one of the things that, that I, I think would be for, for me and my wife, a measurement is being in a position where we can do what we want to do, how we want to do it um, at the time that we want to do it without asking anyone's permission or even worrying about whether there's enough money or time or anything to, to make it happen. Um, and I know that's a very kind of pie in the sky, airy fairy type, type answer. But the reality is that, you know, one of my mentors being Dr. Anas Dreyer, um, he spoke about the four types of freedom. And the first one being the most simple one to achieve is money freedom, financial freedom. Right. right. And then once you once you're financially free, that gives you freedom of of time. Once you have freedom of time, that gives you freedom of choice. Now you can right. choose what I want to do, when I want to do it, and so on. And then the last one, and that's the most important one, is freedom of purpose. And that's where it really comes together. Is you know all of these other things, property investment, um, cash flow, whatever, they <laughs> they contribute towards a point where you can live your purpose. And maybe your purpose is to be an entrepreneur. Maybe your purpose is to employ people. Maybe your purpose is to go into Africa and go and do uh, missionary work. Maybe your purpose is to go and save uh, feral dogs and cats in China. I, I don't know what your purpose is. But the point is that once you have these other points of freedom, freedom of money, freedom of time, freedom of choice, then you can essentially have freedom of purpose, which basically takes me to the point of highest enlightenment. And that, that is success. That's amazing. Um, Rian, thanks a lot for being here. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, this was Rian Adia. Like it is, it is one of Impact's successful friends. Uh, I've really enjoyed my conversation with you, Rian. You, you, um, I've, I've noted that you're a deeper person uh, in terms of uh, how you think and how you do things. Uh, what has really come out to me in this conversation, uh, which is something that I've recently started doing within the last three, four years, is being intentional about certain things. And I can see you're an intentional person um, because if you don't do it, it's not going to change. If it's not intentional, it's not going to change. It's just going to remain what it is. So thanks for availing your time. And uh, any other closing comments on your side? 
Ah, just thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, it's been a, an honor and a privilege having a chat with you. I mean, we've, we've rubbed shoulders many times at the SAPN events and so on. I hope we can return to those things soon. I need to get yeah. in front of some more property investors and, and have some good conversations. But yes. Oh, uh, just an invite. Um, actually, no, I think it's going to be too late for that. Um, but we've got our next virtual event coming up um, pretty soon uh, with SAPN. So look out for that. Yeah. Okay. Awesome stuff. Thank you. That was Rian Nodea. He does multiple things, but more importantly, he is growing his legacy through property. Outside of that, he's got multiple other businesses that are giving him any income. I thought it was seven, seven streams of income, but Rian has just indicated the eight streams of income. But it doesn't matter. Whatever fences you for as long as you are growing. We will see you on the next video. Mm -hmm.